When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. And welcome back into the Bama on three show. This is your host, Clint Lamb, sitting here once again with Jimmy Stein. Jimmy, how are you doing on this Monday morning? It's a little bit different than the uh, previous five or six uh, Monday mornings, but, uh, uh, I, I'm sort of uh, moving quickly through all the stages of grief, and uh, uh, I'm at acceptance and ready for a Mississippi State, sort of. You know what? Um, I feel like there's a lot of Alabama fans out there who can relate, and, and they know what you're going through. Um, it was a rough one, man. I, I mean, really from the jump. Uh, of course, we're going to be talking about the, the Texas A&M-Alabama game from this past weekend I was planning to do a first and 10 this morning. Uh, normally what I do on Monday mornings for the first and 10 is, you know, I give kind of my quick recap on what I thought about the game just to get my thoughts, you know, out to people as soon as possible from a reaction perspective. But with what happened on Saturday, I thought it was best. Hey, let's skip the first and 10. Let's move the Tuesday pod um, or Tuesday episode to Monday. Uh, get you on here so we can both react to it. And then tomorrow, I'm going to be doing a standard first and 10. I'll probably be doing something that's more newsy related, not necessarily reaction based, but we'll be also taking questions. You know, I asked on on the uh, BCS Alabama message boards, I asked on Twitter, hey, if you got a question or you want something that you want us to talk about on on the the Bam on three show, definitely send it over and we'll get it covered. And that's what we plan to do tomorrow. Um, so anything, any thoughts or questions that you guys have, they're going to get acknowledged and they're going to get answered. So I, I definitely want you guys to to keep those coming. And we've had a great response so far. But uh, Jimmy, just, you know, 41-38 final score did not, you know, I don't know if, if you've noticed this. I'm sure you have. I'm sure everybody has. Um, it, it feels like Alabama in these types of games um, you can tell very early it's about to be a very rough day. And then when the other team counter punches, you know, Alabama starts to make, you know, a comeback, you know, that they, they start to get a momentum shift. They block a punt, they score a touchdown off of it. You feel like, okay, that's the thing, you know, that they were, you know, off their game. This is the spark. They're about to roll Texas A&M or they're about to come back and, and win. And then A&M immediately responds with a kickoff return for a touchdown those are the types of things that happen when Alabama loses that start to make you think, okay, um, you know, this is setting up for a loss. Um, And then of course, Alabama didn't make the comeback uh, late and even got up seven points. And and then at that point you just thought, okay, uh, that they're good. Now Um, the defense was playing fantastic. And then next thing you know, 10 unanswered points for Texas A&M. So just a very strange game. Um, You know, the, the, the word that I used on Twitter uh, was overwhelmed. They looked overwhelmed uh, at a lot of points in that football game. What were your initial thoughts on what happened on Saturday night? I think it was this. I think people lose sight of a couple of things. Number one, it was our second really um, poor performance in a row on the road. This team seems uh, really bothered by 
the huge noise. Uh, it could be a product of not really playing on the road for a couple of years. Uh, a lot of guys playing in an environment like that for the first time in their careers or certainly for the first time in a while. Uh, the communication is bad uh, on the offensive line in particular. Uh, we had several issues where AM had unblocked players uh, making plays in the backfield, uh, you know, and, and, and kind of ruining drives. And, you know, again, more penalties. I think there were eight in this game. Um, I think the noise just really bothers this this group. Uh, and, and that's understandable. I think a lot of teams around the league have struggled uh, playing on the road for that reason. So that's one of the things that stands out to me is just a lack of communication on offense and defense uh, in the noise uh, in terms of why it didn't work out well. Secondly, there were some good things. I don't think, uh, Clint, this was a situation where we didn't play well uh, because we didn't play hard. I, I think they did play hard. Um, they just didn't play well. Sometimes you try <laughs> and you try hard and it's just not working. Um, and, and I think, you know, the comeback in the second half is proof that, that they came, they wanted to win. They, they played hard in the second half. Actually, defensively, they had only given up 24 total yards in the second half before the last two drives. Uh, and, and those ended up being the two drives that won the game for A&M, uh, the touchdown and, and the field goal, you know, uh, on their last uh, two possessions. Um, that, that's why, why they lost it at the end. But defensively, they played really well for a big chunk of the second half. And offensively, they scored enough points to win, not 38. You know, seven of that was, you know, via the special team. So they scored 31 on the road, which is exactly what they scored in Florida and Gainesville, which is should be enough to win but just didn't give the defense enough margin for error. And there was a lot of errors, particularly in the first half. But, you know, it, it's it's hard to win on the road. I think Saban's success has made us forget that. And uh, there was some good to come out of it in terms of portions of the game when we played really well. A handful of individuals played really well, especially Brian Robinson. Um, but too many things went wrong from the, the play calling inside the 10, to the dropped passes, to the penalties, to allowing a kickoff return for a touchdown for the first time in six years. Uh, all of those things added up to a close loss to what's really a good team. Let's not one last thing. Let's not forget that Texas A&M was universally a top 10 pick, a top 10 team before this season started. That was a universal opinion. Uh, and then they've had some injuries and things went really wrong for them. But this is not a talentless football team. As a matter of fact, one thing that's sort of bothersome to me, not that these records should have an asterisk, but Alabama blew the 100 games in a row losing to unranked teams. Well, the very next poll taken after the game, AM's ranked 18th. They didn't just slide in at 25 or the only three-loss team to be ranked. That's not true. They're now the second-highest-ranked two-loss team behind only Florida. Uh, A&M wasn't ranked. Uh, you know, I, I think anyone would tell you, especially after watching Saturday, is Texas A&M one of the 25 best teams in the country? Probably so. Uh, so the fact that they were unranked to me is almost like something you should put an asterisk by. Uh, that That's a pretty good football team. And see, that's the part to me that I don't understand from, from a lot of Alabama fans, you know, and it's not just Alabama fans. It's, you know, granted, I get it if you're not a fan of Alabama because – 
you want to make this loss seem like as big of a deal as you possibly can for Alabama. And, and if you acknowledge that they really, you know, were, were a top 25 team in college football and, and the, don't get me wrong, the people who voted and didn't have them in the top 25, it was, it was fair. You know, when you lose to Arkansas and then you turn around and lose to Mississippi state um, and based off of the wins and the fact that they struggled against Colorado and they've, they struggled at various points this season, I, I can understand why they were ranked outside of the top 25 but that doesn't mean that they're not a top 25 team, you know, and I've told a lot of Alabama fans this on Twitter um, and, and, and a lot of people really um, that have just had questions about it. I'm not saying that this happened. I don't know, but it, it is very, there's a very, you know, uh, plausible situation where Texas A&M, first of all, I think that they have had a huge focus on Alabama since they lost so big, I mean, that was their only loss last year was 28 points. You know, since Jimbo Fisher has got to Texas A&M, the, the, the margin, which started off a, a big margin as well, I think it was three scores the first year, and it's continued to climb each and every year. He, he's like, hey, this is how I earn my money. You know, this is how that I change the narrative with what's going on with this Texas A&M program. Think about how they were viewed last year. You know, that they, they should have gone, if they would have played that game closer against Alabama, it, it, with that being their only loss last year, I think that them getting into the college football playoff would have been a much stronger possibility. Not saying that they would have necessarily, but that, I mean, just the fact is like you had your shot at a playoff team and you got beat by four touchdowns. Like there's no, there's not much of an argument here. Um, I think that Texas A&M and Jimbo Fisher, I mean, he even told some of his boosters, we're going to beat their ass at some point. Um, you know, when you make comments like that and then it became such a big deal, it got out. I don't think he wanted it to get out. Now it's a matter of your players are like, we got to have your back coach. You know, we're not going to embarrass, you know, we, they, what you can't do is go out there and lose by four touchdowns again, right after you've said that. And you've never come within three scores of beating Nick Saban since you got to Texas A&M. Um, so I think that there was a huge emphasis on Alabama going in, you know, all off season. And then I think that, you know, the Arkansas game is possible that they end up losing to a good Arkansas football team, you know, two losses, but still two, you know, a very, very good football team. And then it becomes our only shot here is to beat Alabama. If we want to get into the playoff, you know, that now it's a must before it's like, you know, you lose to Alabama. Um, you know, there, there are some scenarios where you can get in and you certainly still want to beat Alabama. But once you lost to Arkansas, once you become two lost, your season's over, you know, your ex expectations of trying to get there to the college football playoff for the first time um, goes out the window the second you get that second loss. And so I think A&M at that point put a huge, emphasis on beating Alabama in two weeks and in that scenario it's very possible that they overlook Mississippi State they thought you know it's an SEC team I'm sure that they took them seriously but I guarantee you they probably had some guys behind the scenes already looking at some stuff for Alabama starting to figure out what are we going to do to stop this Alabama team you know what are some weaknesses and that could have led to a loss against Mississippi State not saying that that's exactly what happened but that is a very logical explanation that could have happened and it would also explain, A, the very poor performance against Mississippi State and also the very good performance against Alabama. You know, if you had all that extra time, you've put in putting all this emphasis in, in, in the offseason and in the last two weeks on the Crimson Tide, then, yeah, you're certainly going to be very well prepared for that game and it's probably going to show. And if you look at that, you know, the way that they played, the game plan that they had, both offensively and defensively, incredible game plan. Um, you know, they, they found Alabama's weaknesses and they exploited it early and often on both sides of the football. And so I, you know, that's kind of my thoughts on that. And then plus the other thing that you mentioned that I wanted to hit on a little bit before I kind of pitch it back to you 
is the the home field um, advantage for Texas A&M or the road environment for Alabama. Um, I think that if you're an opposing team that that is going to play Alabama and you have a good football team, you're looking at that Florida game back in week three and you say, look how much of a, a, a factor the crowd played in the outcome. And you're saying we can do, I mean, Texas A&M's the 12th man. That's what they're known for is having just a very hostile, tough environment to play in. If you're A&M, you're telling your fans, hey, you can, you know, have an outcome, you know, help, you know, give us the outcome that we're looking for in this football game. You can play a part in this, make life on them difficult. And I think that A&M fans did a fantastic job of doing that. And I think that now that that's starting to become a thing, like Alabama's not really handling road environments very well. If you don't think those cowbells aren't going to be super loud, you know, uh, with Mississippi State, because they're looking at it and they're saying, well, we beat A&M. A&M just beat Alabama. I mean, we can beat Alabama. You know, if we bring our A game and, and as a crowd, we're, you know, we provide a hostile environment. We can make this happen too. So I think that Alabama setting themselves up to be put in a situation where crowds are going to say, hey, Alabama is beatable, but we've got to do our part as a crowd when they're in our house. Um, and, and so you're probably going to get a lot of that moving forward. Yeah, and, and, and they've got to play better on the road this weekend because there's only one more after this. And uh, there's only one more after this, and that's the uh, that's the Auburn uh, game. And and boy, talk about a loud crowd that's going to be after them, you know, in that game. Uh, no doubt, that's true. So this is the weekend to get past those noise issues. I mean, to me, it's the number one thing to work on. We've got to become a better team uh, in silence, uh, with silent counts, with silent calls uh, at the line of scrimmage. Again, I, I think some of us is on Dalcourt. Uh, who, who at least on a handful of snaps, I don't think made the right line call. Alabama slid protections in the wrong direction. Uh, and and, and I, I don't think Dalcourt forgot what's his right and what's his left. I, I think they just couldn't hear. And, and they've got to figure out a way to get past that because every team that plays on the road deals with that at least to an extent. But like you were saying, Clint, uh, this, is a, this is a big deal in terms of what lies ahead for Alabama. Now, in terms of, you know, what I'm looking for this week is just improvement. They've got to play better if they, if you know, I thought there's just been too much talk of what you have to do to make the playoff, you know, uh, what you have to do to get to Atlanta. Uh, forget that. They, they need to improve or they're going to lose Saturday to Mississippi State. So, to me, this week is about improving. And as fans, uh, you know, one thing that I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, can we, uh, you know, are we, are there going to be personnel changes? I think it's fascinating. Uh, I know as fans, there might be a few players that you, you look at and go, how did, how is this guy still playing? Well, let's see if there's personnel changes. Maybe there will be, maybe there won't be. Uh, I think it's dangerous as fans to assume the kid you haven't seen play football is going to be the one that shows up Saturday that fixes all the problems. I think that's that's just a fan way of thinking. The player we haven't seen is better than the one we have. Uh, there's a reason that the kids that are starting are starting, and I find it hard to believe that uh, you know that that there's a second team right tackle that's going to go out there and all of a sudden be a team strength. <laughs> you know, uh, that's hard to believe. I think you're probably if you make personnel changes at this point in the season, you're just trading one set of problems for another. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see, will there be shakeups on the offensive line? Will there be shakeups in the secondary? 
Uh, what about inside linebacker, which I think yet again didn't play a great football game, uh, both inside linebackers. So, you know, will there be changes there? I, I don't know. I think it's an interesting thing to watch. It's not been really a habit of Nick Saban's to trade personnel in and out through the course of a season. He sort of picks a starting lineup and just goes with it until there are injuries. Um, so that's interesting. Uh, Dallas Turner played a lot in Drew Sanders' place. Uh, that was interesting, you know, that it was pretty much full-time 15 and not 41 Chris Braswell out there. Uh, it was pretty much Dallas Turner the whole time. That was certainly an interesting choice. Will we see some young receivers? We had problems with drops and just generally a lack of plays being made by the receivers other than Jameson Williams again. And uh, will we see that? But regardless uh, whether there's personnel changes or not, improvement needs to be the, the, the key word of the week. Because, again, if you play exactly – if you play no better than you played against – uh, Texas A&M, then there are more losses to come. You can forget about the windy road to Atlanta or to the playoff. Uh, you've got to get better or none of that will happen. Completely agree. And, and, and that's what you have to assume, um, you know, that, that Nick Saban is going to, you know, you would think that he would be able to start to get some of this stuff right. You know, you, you've put it on tape. You put it on tape against Florida. But here's the thing. A lot of these guys who are now playing and starting, um, they, they, as, as terrible as they've practiced some weeks and Nick Saban's been irate about it or as terrible as they've played in some weeks and Nick Saban's been irate about it. They found a way to win in the last two years, you know, through five games this year, through all, you know, what was it? 13 last year or whatever it ended up being. I think it was 13. Um, you know, they were able to, to find a way to win. And so a lot of these guys didn't know losing was possible. You're Alabama. You're supposed to win every week. You find a way to win. You know, you can go play terrible against Florida on the road. You found a way to win. Uh, you know, you can, you can not prepare for Mercer like you're supposed to and not, not plan to get better. And you can still go out there and, and beat them handedly. You know, it's just it's, it's this approach that what is on, you know, that, that logo on your jersey automatically gives you some sort of competitive advantage, and it doesn't. I mean, and, and maybe in some ways, I mean, as far as the, the way that the other team views you, and they might get in their own heads and beat themselves before they even step on the field. But, I mean, that's, that's not something that you can control or know if it's coming or not. you got to do your part. And it just it felt like in this game, it's like I said, overwhelmed. You know, you saw guys – making uncharacteristic mistakes. I could go uh, and list. I mean, really, it would be a lot shorter if I went through and just picked out guys that didn't play poorly, you know, um, guys who were a lot more consistent, um, who played well, who played hard. You know, Brian Robinson Jr. is going to be the number one guy um, that, that you're going to talk about. It. Just running the football. And, and did he, you know, rip off four or five-yard gains every time he was handed the football? No. Um, but he made sure that he ran hard on every play. And, and I thought that, you know, going in, one thing I said last week, you know, even with that defensive line for Texas A&M, with the rushing yards that they were allowing per game, the things that I'd seen on tape, I thought Alabama was going to be able to run the football. And I thought, hey, this is your best opportunity. Establish a run game, hammer it at them, and then play Bryce Young in the passing game off of that. You know, do a lot of play action, do a lot of RPO stuff. Um, you know, A&M did a great job with it. You know, you think back to that first touchdown to Anaya Smith, um, you know, A&M had been running the football fairly well uh, in their short yarder situations. Uh, Josh Job uh, on the goal line was supposed to be covering Anaya Smith. He bit hard on the RPO, and it was just an easy just throw and strike from Zach Calzada to Anaya Smith. I mean, you know, it, you couldn't have drawn it up any better as far as the way Alabama reacted to it and the way that you wanted it to work. Um, but 
like so like I said, just overwhelmed across the board. Guys missing tackles, guys blowing coverages, guys not catching footballs, guys not blocking properly, not getting the right, you know, blocking calls, getting a hat on a hat. Um, you know, it just, you know, quarterback, you know, overthrowing the deep ball, you know, nose diving, you know, some short passes, throwing an un uncharacteristic interception, play calling, everything across the board. And it's if you think about it, it's very hard to imagine how much worse it could have gotten for Alabama because across the board, it was pretty bad and they lost about three points. And at one point they were up seven points. And if they don't take, you know, if they continue to play defensively, like they have been playing in the second half, they win that football game. And, and there's a part of me that thinks it's good that they weren't able to get this win because I think it sends the, the message. Hey, if you don't prepare the right, right way, it, what you being Alabama doesn't automatically get you a victory against teams. You're not supposed to. And they, I mean, from an embarrassment perspective, you know, th th this group of players, you're the team, you're the roster, you're the starter or the starters that handed Nick Saban his first loss to an unranked opponent since, you know, whenever, 2007, I guess, um, you know, or however long it had been. So, yeah, I, I get fans' frustrations. You know, when you look at the individual matchups, you know, we, we talked about going in Chris Owens versus Michael Clemens. It wasn't just Clemens, you know, uh, he, I think he had like three tackles. He had a tackle for loss. He had the sack, but he also had three quarterback hurries. He had two quarterback hits. He had a pass deflection just from a pressure standpoint, sacks, quarterback hits and, and, and quarterback hurries. He was absolutely dominant, but then Tyree Johnson, that's a guy I didn't even mention. And, you know, he's a huge part of that defensive line rotation. He had two sacks and one of them was against, um, Roy Dell Williams, um, you know, coming off of the, the right side from his perspective, he was going against, uh, he wasn't going against Evan Neal, but he was coming off of Alabama's left side where Evan Neal was at. Roy Dell Williams was tasked with blocking him. Very poor job in pass protection, easy sack for him. But then there was another one um, where he was able to get a sack against Chris Owens, had great hand usage and bend on that play. And here's the thing, even the sack against Roy Dell Williams that Tyree Johnson got, if you look, Chris Owens on the opposite side got absolutely destroyed by Michael Clemens and on that rep too. So if, if Tyree Johnson doesn't get the sack, Michael Clemens is from coming from the other side. So very poor performance from Chris Owens. Um, you know, I was surprised. I, I guess I wasn't surprised, but Chris Owens wasn't tasked with, with covering Jalen Watermeyer much. It was a lot more of a safety thing. Didn't have great performance against him. And then also Anaya Smith, you know, they're two biggest offensive weapons in the passing game, Anaya Smith and Jalen Watermeyer. Both those guys had two very big performances. Yeah, and uh, you know uh, you did a great job uh, in your in your five guys to watch uh, a piece last week, uh, warning warning people of this. I mean, this was this was warned, uh, you know, in terms of you know, hey, these are the matchups to watch for. These are matchups that could cause problems for Alabama, and pretty much every single one of them did. Uh, hey, when you play somebody that recruits like A and M. You know, if, if you look at football, like it's 11 one-on-one -on -one matchups going on at the same time, there's going to be matchups that, that they're going to win because they've got dudes. They, they recruit really, really well. Sometimes that might not be names we're familiar with because they sign so many kids from Texas, and Alabama does recruit a handful of kids from Texas every year. But uh, A&M recruits alongside Alabama and has for two or three years. Uh, you know, they, they, they have – a, a, an impressive lineup of future NFL players. So they're going to win a lot of their one-on-one matchups all over the field. And, and they particularly did up front. 
Again, I think some of the problems up front were communication in terms of blocking the wrong guy, uh, and the noise could have had a lot to do with that. But we'll see. This is a, a big week for Alabama to get better because Mississippi State is a unique team to prepare for. They're going to throw it 60 times. 100%. And, you know, with, with what, um, you know, A&M did, I love how they attacked Alabama's offense, you know, overload one side of the offensive line, you know, pressures up the middle. I thought they were very, um, you know, they were very balanced and they they threw a lot of different things at Alabama's offensive line. And that's been the biggest issue, you know, not only you know, even at home when the environment is in Alabama's favor, they've kind of had trouble communicating and, and getting guys blocking the correct assignment and what they need to be doing. And it's allowed free pressure. It's allowed, you know, um, some issues for the offense in general. And AM took extreme advantage of that. They utilized the, the the crowd and the fact that Alabama's offensive line was going to have a very tough time communicating. And they did, you know, a great job of of doing a lot of different things and throwing a lot of different things at the offensive line to, you know, create issues. And and really, you know, I from a and this is why I thought it was so interesting that Alabama didn't run the football more. Now, granted, Brian Robinson Jr. got 24 carries in this game. So it's not like he didn't get a heavy workload. But personally, I think he should have been 30 plus for the second week in a row because, you know, that's something from a confusion standpoint when you're just, you know, it's zone blocking, it's man, you know, blocking, you know, whatever it is, you getting movement in the run game and you creating, uh, you know, success that way. Why in the world, when your offensive line is really struggling to figure out who it is they need to be blocking and pass pro, are you going to be asking them, you know, you know, Bryce Young to, to drop back and throw the football close to 50 times? I think he threw it 48. Now, granted, some of that has to do with game script. You know, when, when you're playing from behind like they were from multiple touchdowns um, or down multiple touchdowns, then, yeah, some of that's going to, you know, happen. I just feel like, the, like you know, Alabama got away from some things um, at various points throughout this game that could help them win this game. And here's the next point. Um, first of all, this game, in my opinion, was won and lost in the trenches. Uh, you know, whether it be Texas A&M's offensive line, going into this year, the entire problem with Texas A&M has been two things. It's been the quarterback play, and it's been the offensive line play. Two great running backs, plenty of weapons in the passing game, great defense, good coaching. Like I said, two things, and they got phenomenal performances from both you know the the offensive line and Zach Calzada at quarterback number one thing I understand Calzada has struggled to, uh, since becoming the starting off or starting quarterback for Texas A&M a lot of that has to do with the fact that he was not getting the proper protection he needed with from the offensive line they got that they inserted two off uh, freshman guys into their starting lineup up front they did a fantastic job this was by far their best performance this season um, that, you know, they, it, things that, and that granted Pete Golding made it easy on them at times. Don't get me wrong, but I think it just was just, you know, A&M kind of starting to take the next step as far as their protection up front. Zach Calzada had the time that he needed and we were acting like that. This is a true backup, you know, and, and this is not me taking a shot at Paul Tyson, but going into this year, you know, in fall camp, no one was questioning if, if Byer, uh, if, uh, Bryce Young was going to be the starting quarterback for Alabama. For Texas A&M, it was either Zach Calzada or Haynes King. You know, that they still had the, the, the quarterback battle for them was neck and neck. And Haynes King ended up winning, but let's not act like that Calzada was not good enough to win that job. He's not, he's not Paul Tyson. You know, he's not a guy who's the clear backup, and if he comes in the game, 
you're expecting a, a major drop off, maybe some, but you're not expecting this, you know, significant difference. Now he'd been playing poorly, but like I said, a lot of that had to do with the offensive line. So I just, I thought it was impressive that they, the two biggest is biggest issues that I thought were going to be detrimental to take saying them having any chance in this game. Not only did they fix them, they got top notch performances from both the offensive line and the quarterback position. And that to me goes well beyond, Oh, well, you know, this is just pointing towards Alabama's defense. You know, he hadn't been able to, he hadn't been able to do it all season against anybody else. This just proves Alabama, you know, Pete Goldie needs to go. No, I just think that they were up. They had prepared well and they were ready for Alabama. And they, you know, sometimes you just have guys that play great games and it just so happened that the offensive line and the quarterback aligned at the perfect time on Saturday. And we saw the result and, it was a three-point loss for Alabama. Yeah, there was a reason that game was on primetime CBS television. It was picked this summer. Uh, CBS has to declare uh, in July uh, when their primetime game will be. Uh, You know, they they didn't necessarily say, hey, it's going to be Alabama-Texas A&M, but it's always Alabama. Uh, They clearly picked this date because of the matchup with A&M. And had A&M played – against Arkansas and Mississippi State like they played against Alabama and had fixed those issues, a quarterback and the offensive line, then that would have been a 5-0 A&M team. And we would have had potentially game day and everything else, and it's the biggest game of the day. And, and very few people would be floored uh, that Alabama lost on Saturday night uh, if, if A&M had been 5-0 and and ranked in the top five. And that, that easily could have happened had Calzada and the offensive line figured out their problems. Clint, one thing I'm wondering, and I don't know A&M's personnel like I know Alabama's, but they had to start some new guys up front. I wonder if uh, maybe they had some injuries in the right place and perhaps the uh, replacements were upgrades over what they had been on the field to these new guys that were second team, some of them freshmen, redshirt freshmen who hadn't played. Uh, A&M might be grading the tape going, uh, well, I think we have new starters, you know, here. Uh, They found something that worked. So, it wasn't like it was the exact same offensive line. In fact, there were some new guys, and maybe that made a big difference for them uh, because that, that A&M team w- w- was probably not the same A&M team that had lost to Arkansas and then to Mississippi State. But neither here nor there. Alabama faces Mississippi State next, a completely different challenge. But it will be a road game again. It will be dealing with the noise again. In that sense, uh, that's where we need to see some improvement. Uh, Mississippi State's going to spread the field. They're going to throw it 60 times. They're not even going to really try to run the ball. Uh, Alabama will be in their dime defense a lot in this game, more so than any that we've seen so far. But Mississippi State uses three and four receivers on every single uh, formation. So that means Alabama will have six defensive backs out there, uh, and and we'll see how Alabama reacts. That's going to be a new situation Alabama is normally in dime about 10 to 15% of snaps in a game, but they'll be in Dom maybe as much as 75% of snaps uh, in this game coming up. So that will be interesting. And uh, the usage of Brian Robinson that you pointed out in in your last segment, because it just looks to me, Clint, like the running back by committee thing may now be over. It's been two weeks in a row that we've had a clear alpha at running back, taking almost all of the carries and all the snaps and Brian has been great in that role. Uh, and like you said, uh, maybe if he carried the ball three or four more times this past weekend, it could have had a different result uh, because he, to, to me, he's very good around the goal line. Um, 
I bought it up myself on Twitter about the, the play calling inside the 10. You had some good posts where you posted some statistics about it, um, you know, w- w- that showed that once Alabama got inside the 15, they were almost exclusively throwing the ball. That tells me that this was a decision made uh, during the week. Uh, a lot of casual fans, Clint, I think, think that the coordinator upstairs calls the game based on gut or based on totally down and distance and what's going on in the game. Uh, the coordinator certainly has the authority to change a play and to change what's on his sheet. But really the decision about what plays to call are made during the week in staff meetings. And they're based on uh, an analysis of what AM does on defense and their weak spots. And the way I interpret it, Clint, is they decided during the week that Texas A&M's defensive line was going to be too much for our offensive line when the field shortened, when the field got small and it was all about physicality. It's almost like Alabama decided during the week our offensive line wasn't going to be good enough and we're going to have to throw the ball. And they didn't veer from that plan and uh, and it cost them. They should have veered for the from the plan as soon as they saw that uh, Alabama was moving AM's front seven off the ball in the run game to some degree. Now, there were some snaps with Brian where he didn't make any yardage and was stopped at the line of scrimmage, and that may have happened. It's kind of dangerous for us to just assume that the run plays would have worked. But based on Brian's numbers in the game, it's crazy that, that O'Brien didn't adjust to how the game was playing out and adjust away from the play sheet. Uh, which they'd clearly devised as a result of watching tape and believing that our offensive line wasn't going to be very successful against their front seven uh, in red zone situations. The play calling was criminal. You know, if not, I mean, I have a very hard time putting into words how frustrating it was to watch. And this is not somebody, this is not from a fan's perspective. This is from a, Foot, you've got Evan Neal, a 6'8", 360-pound offensive tackle who's projected to go in the top 10 of the NFL draft. You have a two, close to a 230-pound running back in Brian Robinson Jr. who can be an absolute hammer. I mean, when you look at all six of his rushing touchdowns so far this year, you know, one yard out, two yards out, three yards out, um, you know, all of them have been from four yards or less. A lot of them have been uh, one-yard uh, runs. And it's not like if you're Alabama – it was first and goal, and you pick up two yards. I think it was from the four-yard line. You pick up two yards on first down, and you pick up one yard on second down. Based off of what you had just done, you're one yard away. Do the same thing. You know, you, and, and if you don't get it, do it again. Texas A&M's chances of, of, not, of preventing you from getting a yard on two carries, even if you're going for it on fourth, if you don't get it, you've put their offense in a very bad position and you could have broken offensive momentum by putting them in a bad position. You know, Zach Calzada down there near the goal line going against Alabama's defense could have made some kind of crucial mistake that throws him off his game. You know, I think that they're, when you're down 17 to seven, uh, two scores at that point, not running it on third and goal with Brian Robinson Jr. off of Evan Neal's butt, I think was just absolutely, I mean, it was, it was, it was terrible. It, it was absolutely awful. You end up throwing the football with Bryce Young. He throws an interception, and that just that keeps it two scores. It, it allows AM to, you know, if Alabama is able to close the gap right there on that possession to a three-point game, 
they're not having to attack in the same way. Bryce Young didn't have to have to throw 50 times. You know, it was the fact that for a much longer period of time, they were down by two scores to Texas A&M. You're able to run your offense more efficiently. I don't understand what is going through your head in that moment that says, let's, you know, throw it. And then after that happens, the next time you get down there, you decide to throw it three straight times. You know, that that's your solution. I mean, Bryce Young gets down there and throw, and maybe you're trying to get his, you know, head back right and give him an opportunity to make up for it or something. But it's just uh, the entire flow of things. It's like you said, they should have been able to make adjustments to whatever game plan they had going in. And, and if you can't trust your, you know, the, that less, I understand the right side. Um, there, there, there was a lot of struggles there, especially in pass pro, but in run blocking, I mean, if you can't tr- trust your guys to get a yard on third and one, especially when you've got the mindset of, Hey, even if we don't get this on fourth down, we put their offense in a very tough spot. Then, you know, what are you doing? Um, it, I just thought it was a, a terrible way to implement your personnel. Um, what did they used to call it? That I think it was called the elephant package. And I think someone actually asked about it and we're going to be answering questions tomorrow, but I wanted to get your thoughts on this just because it flows right into what we're talking about. Let's see. Um, Cole Reynolds on Twitter. Uh, he asked, do you think there's a reason why Alabama has moved away from the elephant package being a personnel issue or is it the new times? And he's right. I mean, putting those hogs, you know, those defensive linemen, those big guys, you know, a Terrence Cody, a Deron Payne, you know, somebody at fullback and just hammering things. Why is it that you think that they've completely abandoned that in those situations? I don't think that they have um, because just one game ago, I mean, now that they haven't put in defensive tackles, you know, at fullback like they've done in the past, but I think that's because they're really comfortable with the literal fullback they have on the roster and Robbie Oost who plays tight end, H-back, and fullback. And I think it was just against uh, Ole Miss and Southern Miss that Robbie played a handful of snaps uh, in short yardage at fullback. They just do it a little differently. Alabama plays multiple tight ends, uh, and and they don't have to move guys around. Kendall Randolph is sort of that designated blocker at tight end, and Alabama continues to use Kendall in short yardage situations. It was this game, and this game alone – that Alabama abandoned it. I can tell you the answer for that, uh, just with my experience, the answer for that is there was something on tape that they believed it would be ineffective. Uh, That's that's the only real explanation. They saw something on tape that went, this isn't going to work against these guys. We got to do something else. Now, it's, it's hard to imagine that that's true. Like I said, Brian Robinson did run for 146 yards and 24 carries. He had, a, he had a pretty nice game running the ball. So it's just hard to believe that we couldn't have picked up one or two yards, uh, especially if we put in some bigger dudes up front. You know, you take out Billingsley and you put in Kendall Randolph. That's a 60-pound 60 60 <laughs> improvement. And then you put Oost in the game instead of a wide receiver. Now, you've, now you're up 60 pounds against. So you've put 120 more pounds of player in and you run Brian Robinson behind it. It's hard to imagine that that wouldn't work because Texas A&M might be good up front, but they're not the Kansas City Chiefs or they're not the Green Bay Packers. I mean, uh, but but that's my answer is it was just this one game. They must have seen something on film that made them get away from it. Now, what they saw, I mean, that's on them. They're highly paid professional football coaches. We usually get stuff like that right. Uh, it's, it, it didn't feel right. And, hey, I, I wasn't there, but – I think there is a very good chance there was a Sunday morning staff meeting 
where Nick Saban asked Bill O'Brien specifically to explain or, you know, why, why did we not run the ball with Brian down to the goal line? That's not a fan thing. I bet it was a coach point <laughs> that was made Sunday morning. And something tells me the next time it happens, regardless of what the Waffle House play sheet says, uh, there's going to be a run on the goal line uh, just to satisfy not just the fans in the stands, but uh, but Coach Saban too. And, and I'm with you on that. And, and McKinley Jackson, who was a guy who almost went to Alabama, been a rock on the interior for Texas A&M's defensive line. You know, they have some great players up front, um, you know, with, with Leo Collins, or excuse me, not Leo Collins, DeMarvin Leal, um, with Michael Clemens, with Tyree Johnson, with Jordan Peavy, um, you know, like I said, McKinley, they have a lot of depth and, and talent up front, but it, it's, you're, you know, you're Alabama, you know, you've recruited these guys and I understand, you know, that there's some deficiencies, whether it be in pass pro or in run blocking, but it's just, it's wild to me. If, if you don't trust the personnel that you have on the field to convert, then you need to have that personnel off the field. You know, that it's, it's like one of those things where sometimes you just got to say, hey, you got to get the job done. You got to figure out a way to get it done. And, and like I said, if you approach that third and one saying we're going for it on fourth, you know, we got two chances to hammer this in. If Texas A&M stops you, uh, you know, and prevents you from, from scoring that one yard, then A, they've earned it. Like I said, you've put their offense in a terrible position um, and maybe could break some momentum on that side, but also – you know, it's just I, no one's questioning it. You know, it, it's like it's understandable. You're on the one yard line um, going for it in that situation down two scores. You know, maybe somebody would have said, well, you needed to cut it down to one, you know, except the field goal. I, I just I think at that point with the way things were going, people understood they needed something and a field goal and against allowing, you know, from the four yard line, allowing Texas A&M to get a stop and holding you to a field goal, I think would not been of the would not have been the message that you wanted to send. I think everybody would have been on board for going forward in that situation. But, you know, what, what do I know? I do think you're onto something. I do think there's something that they saw on tape. Uh, you know, I'd watch quite a bit of Texas A&M. Maybe I wouldn't pay enough attention to their goal line stuff and how they played things and how effective they were. Maybe that's something that I missed. Um, but it's just, it was completely baffling to me how much that the, the coaching staff, I mean, it was, it was obvious, you know, they didn't trust the offensive line and the, just the run game in general to get the one yard. I mean, or, you know, on the next possession, they didn't believe in them or have faith in them enough to, you know, be able to get better in a better situation um, by running the football in any of those plays. So it's just, it was very strange. Um, I don't, I don't know what to think of it. I've been trying to, a lot of times, and here's the thing, when it comes to Pete Golding, you know, defensively, I really try to dive in uh, and, and figure out ways to defend them. Um, and because I understand there's, the, there's stuff that's going on behind the scenes that we have no idea and you just brought that up with Bill O'Brien, and you're 100% right. I just have been racking my brain trying to figure out some way to, to defend Bill O'Brien over those decisions, and I haven't been able to come up with anything. So I'm, more- not, defend- I'm not defending it at all because I'm, I'm upset. I even tweeted that I'm mad about it, and I'm still mad about it because, again, I think you should be able to adjust uh, the plan based on what's going on in the field. But I'm, I'm just bringing this up hypothetically, but Alabama, like every program, we use computer analysis when we're coming up with the game plan and tendencies and things like that. This is totally hypothetical, but what if, what if you knew prior to the game that AM on defense, when they put in their goal line defense unit in the first five games, the opposition was 0 for 8 in making a single yard? See, we would know stuff like that. They they right. know stuff. 
have a computer program that tells them all this stuff that when, hey, when they're in this package, this is the result in their first five games, you know, and, and, and it's something like that that leads to the game plan of, well, everybody else is 0 for 8. We don't have the best offensive line in the league. So, hey, when we get in this situation, we're going to run this, which has worked against them. Uh, you know, whether it's Colorado or Arkansas or Mississippi State or, or whoever, but I just point that out as that's what leads to the game plan. Uh, but but my, my criticism is exactly like we, we were wrong not to run the ball. We should have run the ball. And the offensive coordinator needs to have confidence in himself and the team to know, hey, we didn't think this would work, but I've been watching this game with my own eyes. And you know what? I think it's going to work. So I'm overruling uh, the Waffle House sheet here. Uh, that, that tells me what to call in this situation. Because those decisions are already made. We already know what we're going to call on third and three from the 20 when they're in nickel. We already know what we're going to call before the game starts. But you've got to be able to deviate and adjust. And the best offensive coordinator, play callers in the world, you, you know, you don't think Lane Kiffin doesn't adjust. He's the best maybe that there is. And he famously has that play sheet. Every time they show Lane, Lane is staring at his play sheet because they've, they've they, they put a lot of work into it over the week. But we also know that Lane throws it up in the air, usually after an audible, usually after he changes the play. Uh, and, and again, the offensive play caller has to adjust based on how the game is played out. Does it not feel like that Bryce Young's getting the Mac Jones 2019 treatment? You know, through five games, um, I would say through five, you know, Mac Jones, when he took over for, for Tua Tungvaloa, looked fantastic if you looked yep. at 90% of what he put on tape. But all yep. Alabama fans could focus on was the 10%. All they could mm -hmm. focus on was the two pick sixes against Auburn, which, by the way, that, that interception in the end zone for Bryce Young on Saturday was very, you know, throwing it when they probably should have been running it, you know, when when Mac Jones Just threw like it that. into the back of Najee Harris. Um, and that, like that was returned for, you know, a pick six. But it just Bad feels... That was on Sark. So Sark's not perfect either. Sark shouldn't have called that pass play. And that's a great point. That I mean, everybody praises Sark. I mean, he's he makes mistakes too, and and it's very costly. I just think that you know you need to you need to take advice from the Seattle Seahawks. And when it's you know third and one, or you know when you got one yard to score, let's you know run the football. You know, I mean, I don't care what your success has been up to that point. Like I said, a two yard run and one yard run. It's not like they attack you in the backfield or whatever, but it just feels like that all Alabama fans or some Alabama fans, there are plenty that he still has the support of a majority. So I don't want to act like that this is, you know, pretty much everybody, but there are a select few Alabama fans out there who are giving Bryce through his first uh, six starts of his college career, um, you know, a couple of very tough road, you know, per, uh, games. You know, Mac had to go on the road to Jordan Air Stadium. We saw how he performed. He performed fantastic, but he made some very costly mistakes. You can sit there and say the two interceptions, the two pick sixes, um, you know, ended up making a huge difference in that game. But for, you know, Bryce has gone on the road to Gainesville. He's gone on the road to, to College Station. And in both games, now granted, Florida for three quarters, you know, a lot was falling apart around him, but I thought that he played a good football game. I thought against Texas A&M, he played a great foot. I wouldn't say necessarily great um, with the missed overthrows deep and, and the, you know, a couple other issues. And the interception wasn't a great throw. Um, it was a tough throw to make in the first place, but, you know, he, he, it would, he could have thrown it a little bit better too. Point being, I just feel like that too many people are jumping 
on him and, and making, you know, people were talking about starting Paul Tyson and, and all that. It's the same thing that we heard with Mac Jones. And then all of a sudden, when things started to click for Mac, he came out and he, he put up records for Alabama. He was a first round pick. And how do you literally just watch that happen? And now you're trying to do the same thing to Bryce Young. That's right. And hey, uh, just through six games now, we've seen Bryce play six games and he's a true sophomore and he's only played six games. To me, the only question about Bryce after six games is, do I give him an A or do I give him an A plus? Beautiful. I mean, it's an A or an A plus. It's, it's nothing lower than that in terms of how Bryce has performed, all things considered. Then throw this last thing in, Clint. He's not playing behind Mac's offensive line from last year. He's Great not point. throwing all to a Heisman winner outside. He doesn't even have Najee Harris behind him in the, in the, you know, uh, in the formation to take a lot of the pressure off. Bryce is having to do more of it on his own. Uh, and uh, it's an A or an A plus for me. He's been great. It's not been perfect. It's never going to be perfect. Uh, I would, I saw that he's still leading or is at least tied for first in some uh, Heisman uh, betting odds at the casinos. Uh, I would ding him below that based on this weekend. There's no way that even as an Alabama fan, I would hand him a Heisman trophy after Saturday, but he's got six more games. And, and, and that, that's the last thing we need to worry about. Bryce just needs to worry about what the other 21 guys do. And that's improving, being a better player next weekend than you were this past weekend. How, I mean, it, it, the guy, what did he do? Let's see. So he threw for 369 yards and three touchdowns. He did have the one interception. He did have a couple of overthrows. But when you start looking at, at, at drops, um, I mean, uh, how many drops were in this game? I mean, it was probably at least, if I had to guess, five, six, seven, something like that. It's probably more accurate to say four or five because, you know, not every time you touch the ball means you should have caught it. Uh, some of those passes were inaccurate. Like, so I would even go so far as to say this was Bryce's worst game, but that's saying a lot because Bryce played well enough to win this game. Bryce played well enough to win. I can't say that for everybody else. So if Cameron Latou catches that touchdown, that's four touchdowns and close to 400 yards passing just right there. Um, yep. John Mechie doesn't have two or three drops. You know, Jalil Billingsley doesn't have – I can think of two off the top of my head. Um, you know, Jamison Williams, as good as he was, he had a drop. Um, so it, it's like – those numbers, I mean, it, it's just as easily that he could have thrown for 400-plus yards and four touchdowns in this game on the road in a hostile environment. Poor, um, prote poor protection. Yeah, with poor protection. Going against a great defensive line. Uh, and their secondary is good, too. You know, we're not giving them enough credit. Going into the game, I saw on tape an Alabama team that would be able to establish the run. My area of concern was, hey, you need to play Bryce in the passing game off of that because I think this secondary is underrated for Texas A&M, and they've had some pretty good – um, players and, and we saw that um, you know um, what's his name uh, O'Neal number nine for for A and M the safety forget what it is Leon O'Neal I think is what it is great performance from him you know there's been times where he's been a complete liability on the back half for A and M throughout his career he's been starting for quite a while or at least playing for quite a while on Saturday I thought he played a great football game you know just that's across the, the board that's the second best defense in the SEC we know who's best. I would say A&M's second best. And, yes, I'm including Alabama. A&M's <laughs> the second best defense uh, in the SEC, period. Well, this is – and this is the last thing we'll talk about. Speaking of Alabama's defense, um, and I know that we've gone long. This is – you know, it's a loss. You know, we're, we're going to dive into this thing and talk about it as much as we possibly can to give you guys our thoughts. And like I said, we're going to get to y'all's tomorrow 
and, and just answer any questions that you have. And, and if you just have comments to make, you can make those and we'll share those and then we'll kind of react to them a little bit or if we need to, or we'll say completely agree and move on. Um, but I think a huge issue for Alabama's defense, as talented as they are up front, they have a very hard time controlling things with their defensive line. Um, you know, that they, they have disruptors at times. You know, I think Tim Smith, he has disruptive plays. Byron Young has disruptive plays. Uh, Justin Aboigby, all of them pretty much. But, you know, it, it's either they're making a, a big play or they're getting completely wiped. Um, they're, they're getting washed out of the play. They're not, you know, maintaining their blocks. They're not holding the point of attack. And I, I, I do think, too, as poor as the, the off-ball linebackers, Christian Harrison and Henry Toto have played, I don't think the defensive line is doing them any favors. Um, you, you know, I, I think that, you know, there's a lot of free blockers getting up to the second level fairly consistently, and that's going to make your job as an off-ball linebacker that much more difficult. With Alabama's defense, it should be linebackers, you know, flowing to the football a little bit more freely, and you saw that. I mean, Reuben Foster, he could take on blocks, you know, um, don't get me wrong, but he was also a heat-seeking missile that could just, you know, there was there was the the defensive line was maintaining. You had Deron Payne and Jonathan Allen and all those guys, and then you had Reuben Foster just being a heat-seeking missile, getting free runs to the football and making game-changing hits and plays. And you just with the, with the way that the defensive line really struggles to to control the line of scrimmage, um, and that's the defensive line and the outside linebackers at times. And I especially think that that was true against Texas A&M because you had Dallas Turner out there you know, working a lot more into your depth. Um, you know, it, it's just, it's made the job, you know, a lot easier on the offense and a lot tougher on the second and third levels of your defense. So just kind of give your thoughts on the defensive line and, and how you think that they perform, whether it be on Saturday or so far this season. Yeah, as a unit to me, uh, they've underperformed uh, as a unit. Uh, I, they should be better than they are. That's what I'd say about the defense as a whole. Uh, I would agree with anybody that says, uh, you, you know, well, you know, there's all sorts of reasons we're not the 2016 Alabama defense. The way we play offense has changed. Maybe there's been some recruiting misses. It's just hard to play or maintain at that level. Uh, we, we play all these spread up tempo teams that, that also do it with SEC talent. There's all these reasons we're not 2016 Alabama. But, but my, big, my biggest issue with how we've played defense for the past three or four seasons is we should be better than this. We should be better than this. And that's what I'd say about the defensive line, that they do have their moments. They do have some guys that flash a lot of upside, like Tim Smith, like Byron Young, like Phil Mathis, who's having a good year. But we see flashes of it. But as a whole, for 60 minutes, does our defensive line play great? No. They should be better than they are. Uh, I, I say about the defense as a whole, but I certainly don't exclude the defensive line from that as well. Uh, they just should be better. And I just wonder if if that's a rotation thing. You know, at a lot of positions, Nick Saban doesn't rotate. You know, off-ball linebacker, he doesn't rotate in guys. You know, in the secondary. And maybe at safety, he does a little bit. But a lot of it is when you go nickel and dime package that you're seeing those extra defensive backs. At corner, they don't rotate. Um, you know, at outside linebacker, they don't rotate or they haven't. It was, it was Christopher Allen and Will Anderson last year. This year, you know, you saw a little bit of some guys, but it was mostly Drew Sanders and, and Will Anderson Jr. Yeah. You end up having a true freshman in in Dallas Turner. When there was two linebackers on the field, it was Dallas Turner and uh, it was Will Anderson Jr. You know, you didn't see. I don't. I in fact, I don't think Chris Braswell played a single snap on Saturday. I don't recall seeing him. He if he did, it was in dime, but I, I don't remember seeing it. No, he I will. Don't. He will. Yeah. This Saturday. will be in dime 
we play Dom Rabbits, which means there'll be two outside linebackers on the field the whole game against Mississippi State. That's how we've always played Dom or usually have played Dom in the past. Uh, so that's so many snaps. Uh, they're going to have to play. They're going to have to get into the depth a little bit at outside linebacker against Mississippi State. It's just too many snaps, too many pass rushing snaps for for Dallas and, and Will Anderson to play the whole 60 minutes. Uh, they're they're going to have to put in Braswell, if not even uh, maybe a glimpse of King M. Wakuda as well. Uh, it's it's going to be hard to play with just two or three guys a whole 60 minutes against Mississippi State. Completely agree. And, and, and that's something – you know, um, like I said, we're, we're still going to be on this Texas A&M thing because we feel like fans deserve to have their voices heard. Um, I love the, the the discussion that people have been creating on Twitter. I want to bring that a little bit to the Bama on three show. And I want us to react and, and, you know, read some of the stuff that people are asking or saying. And that's what we're going to be doing tomorrow. So we're not officially ready to make that move uh, towards Mississippi State. That's going to come a little bit later this week. And it's going to be interesting because I think the way that they play offense, um, you know, it, it's – there's going to be a lot that Alabama can't get figured out, you know, following that game against Texas A&M, they probably need to get figured out. But uh, I think that this has been a productive conversation. Uh, I wasn't quite, you know, I said as soon as the the game was over, I was going to have some things to say on this show. And I wasn't, you know, you give me a couple of days to, to look at things. And, and I really try to give people the benefit of the doubt. I try to get in the minds of people. It's, it's how I've always worked. I mean, when I've gotten into disagreements with people or arguments with people, granted, Twitter's different. Uh, I just say whatever I want to on there. But, you know, with, with family members or a girlfriend or whatever, always try to look at the other side and really try to get a feel for where they're coming from. I think that that helps. Um, and, you know, it's just as I try to do that and try to figure out, okay, Pete Golding, um, you know, which I, I think that he still gets blamed a little bit too much, but he also didn't have, I don't think any of the coaches had a good game on Saturday. You know, what were some thoughts from Nick Saban? How did he reach the conclusions that he did as far as those timeouts, which we didn't even talk about the timeouts. I got a question about that and, and we'll talk about it tomorrow, which is why we didn't spend a lot of time on it today or no time on it today, but we'll, we'll certainly get to that. Um, but, you know, I ended up calming down a little bit. But who knows, as I start to read some of this stuff tomorrow, the questions, I might get fired up again because people are upset and I share in their, in their frustrations because it's like, you know, you never want to say, oh, you give Texas A&M a ton of credit. Uh, that's, that's another thing. Um, I understand that, that Alabama, quote, unquote, beats themselves in a lot of these situations. And I do think there were some things they did where they did beat themselves, but they were put in that position because of things that Texas A&M was doing. And, you know, the crowd... Alabama would lose this game. <laughs> now I rescinded it uh, based on how A&M had played and, and their injury situation. So I can't say I predicted this to happen. I said the summer it would happen, but that's when I thought A&M had a full, you know, their full 22 and I backed off of it and did pick Alabama to win the game uh, prior to it. But no, I, and that's a nod to exactly what you're saying. This Texas A&M team to me is very good. If somebody keeps up with recruiting every day, I know their lineup because these are all highly recruited guys. Uh, most of them are going to play in the NFL even at positions you think they're not playing that great. Jimmy, uh, Jimmy, are you saying that they're a 10-win team? <laughs> are you, is that what you're saying? Because you can't call them a good team without automatically – I saw that. I saw that. Uh, I saw that comment that was that was out there. Hey, let me say, hey if you went – if you're in the SEC and you play an SEC schedule and you finish the season eight and four, you're good. You are good. You, you might not be great. You might not be playoff-worthy. But if you finish eight and four playing an SEC schedule, you're good. So you don't have to win 10 games to be good. Now you have to win 10 games to be great. 
Agree. Eight, eight and four teams in the SEC are good. Completely agree. I, I just, I, you know, it was yeah. uh, that that was just a baffling comment to me um, <laughs> that I have to automatically say uh, that I was saying that they're a ten win team because I said they were good. I mean, there's such a wide range there, and maybe maybe just our, our descriptions for teams. You know, I kind of have it tiered. You know, like I said, like you were just saying, if you're eight and four, you're a good football team. If you start getting into that nine, 10 win range, I start putting you in a great category. I only, I, I save the elites for the ones that are the elites. You know, I think going into this season, Alabama There's and Georgia, elite football teams, you know, those are the ones that I'm sitting there saying. Right now, it looks like there's, there was two. Now, I think it's fair to say there's one elite team, and that's Georgia. Alabama could get in that category by the end of this season, but they're going to have to play their way into that. I, I think uh, A&M dispelled the notion that Alabama's elite, but but that doesn't mean they're not great because uh, I would I would bet substantial money right now that Alabama will end the season with at least 10 football wins, uh, and, and that makes you great, uh, but, but maybe not elite. And, and the, it's like you say, well, you can't call Texas A&M a, a good football team because they lost to Mississippi State. Well, does that mean that we can't call Alabama a good football team because they just lost the team that lost to Mississippi State? I mean, it's like, you know, sometimes you just get beat by a worse team. And it, and I think it happened A&M, and I think there's justifiable reasons for that. You know, with the way that we saw them play against Alabama, they look prepared. Um, it takes a little to change the outcome of the game. I watched a lot of Iowa-Penn State, and yep. uh, Penn State was Penn State was near dominating that game. They had clear control of the game. They lost their quarterback. They went to a backup quarterback that they had no confidence. They might as well have started punting on second down. Uh, <laughs> they put their backup quarterback in, and Iowa was barely able to come back and win the game. And now I see Iowa at two in the polls. <laughs> they are good. Iowa's a good football team. They'll probably win 10 games perhaps, and maybe I'll have to call them great, and that's fine. But I'm just saying that hey, if that Iowa team gets to play the Georgia Bulldogs in the playoffs, good luck, Iowa. Good luck. I just seeing Iowa at number two. Uh, it's just we're, you know we thought twenty twenty was wild. We didn't even know twenty twenty one was coming, and, and no one was safe. Cincinnati's sitting at number four. Um, you know, in a position where if they went out, I mean, do you bump them down? Um, I don't know. We'll have to see. It's just it's it's going to be a wild college football season. It already has been. It's been fun. I've loved getting to you know start this experience with the Bam on Three show with you during this season. Um, you know, it, it's kind of wild how, you know, I think there's a little bit of a different uh, view for Alabama fans. You know, most people, most fan bases, when they lose, people are concerned and they'll they'll listen and tune in. But when they get like, a, you know, A&M this week, all the stuff that all their beat writers and journalists and stuff are putting out, whether it be podcast, radio appearances, writing, all their fans are jumping all over it. Uh, they, they can't eat up enough. They just beat Alabama, number one Alabama. Um, Alabama beats a very good football team, one of the best football teams in the country, and fans are kind of cool. That's awesome. Um, but the second they lose, now everybody wants to be involved in everything. They want to hear everything. They want answers to why people are screwing up. It's just it's a very different mentality when you're, you know, when you're king of the hill for so long. I mean, the mentality is going to change, so you can't blame anybody. It's just it, it's interesting, and that's why we're going to hit you guys with two you know, reactions uh, to Texas A&M and, and kind of split it up. And we've already gone for like a well over an hour. I mean, it's, it's going to be a long podcast. J Jake Evans, our producer is going to be like, dude, you've got to, you guys are being long winded or something. You got to dial it back. And I'm, I'm going to come back and I'm going to say, Hey, just so you know, we're doing this again tomorrow. And I got a feeling that 
you know, it'll get some good engagement as well. So just, you know, remain calm. Everything's going to be fine. But uh, Jimmy, I, I really appreciate you hopping on here with me, man, and taking some time. I know it's, you know, we went a little bit long today and we'll, we'll do it again tomorrow. This has been fun. Yeah, we got, a, we got a lot to say, just like everybody else has a lot to say and uh, appreciate anybody that's uh, taking the time to listen and uh, hope this, uh, our opinions have been helpful in uh, shaping your own opinions about things and uh, look forward to tomorrow's mailbag show. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's not just through the Bama on three show. We're, we're sharing some opinions over on the Bama, uh, the BCS Alabama message boards. We're definitely, you know, I'm writing some, some premium articles some plus articles that are going to be going up later on today. Um, kind of breaking things down. So looking forward to doing that. You definitely need to go sign up for, for on three plus it's only $10 for the entire first year. Go subscribe to the Bama on three show so you can, you know, and set, put notifications on. So anytime we post a new episode, uh, it'll it'll let you know as to where you can come listening. You're certainly going to want to do that for tomorrow. And, he, and if you have any questions or comments about the game, you know, hit me up at Clint R. Lamb, or uh, you can hit up, you know, Jimmy QB underscore country um, and, and share those with us. And we'll certainly try to fit as many as we possibly can on the show tomorrow. So once again, appreciate you guys tuning in and we'll talk to you guys soon. This is the Bama on three show. And I'm your host, Clint Lamb.